I think my entire sort of career trajectory so far has been about trying to find this balance between my creative interests and like my practical personality. I feel like proud that I've managed to kind of combine my creative interests and that practical career. But I do think the I'm kind of defying the typical suggestion, which is pick one thing and stick with it. Welcome to Mentors on the Mic. I'm your host, Michelle Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in film, television, off-Broadway, and commercials. Every Monday, I'll bring you an incredible mentor in the entertainment industry, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. Thanks for listening, and let the episode begin. My episode this week is with the multi-talented Arun Narayanan. Before we start, I just wanted to say that I was having some audio issues in the recording of this particular interview. And, you know, this happens. It's podcasting life. I'm doing remote interviews. But I just wanted to let you guys know there's a couple some scratching sounds. It's the mic, a wire hitting our guest. So just keep that in mind. And hopefully it's not distracting. And yeah. Arun is currently based out in LA, and his official title is Editorial Analyst of Metadata Research and Development at Netflix. Now, what the heck is that? <laughs> Great question. All right, he is the human behind the algorithm at Netflix recommending you your next show or film. Arun likens it to when we had clerks at our local movie store recommending us our next watch based on what we already like. Arun does that. Arun and his team. He creates metadata tags to group content into different categories or genres. They take a title, break it down to a small group of tags based on everything about the project they can identify. Genres, tones, storylines, etc. And then they create bigger bucket categories for us. This is all newish to me. I took some of that description from Arun in the episode and some from an article he shared on LinkedIn, so I imagine that there's accuracy there. In this episode, we talk about his full journey in entertainment so far, from his film work at Brandeis and USC, where he got his master's in film and television production, his awesome internships with Avi Arad and Michael DeLuca Productions. So Avi did like Marvel movies like The Amazing Spider-Man. And Michael actually did many films like Captain Phillips, The Social Network, and Moneyball. Arun worked on Captain Phillips around that time, I believe. He took on various freelance gigs on different projects before landing at Disney as a tagging specialist and now Netflix. Alongside all of this work, he was writing, producing, and creating his own content, including the TV movie The Time Capsule, starring Chris Kattan and Reginald Vell Johnson, who is a consistently working actor, mind you, but my favorite is Carl Winslow and Family Matters. And IMDb tells me that my girl Pamela Mitchell was also in the in the movie as well. Arun also wrote the web series Arun Considers, which, guys, is hysterical and truly awesome content. I'm not just saying that. I highly recommend Arun Considers His Name and Arun Considers White Girls. The link to this, by the way, is going to be in the show notes. Without further ado... Let's welcome Arun Narayanan. Welcome, Arun. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for being on this podcast. I totally appreciate it. It's going to be fun. Hey, thanks for having me. 
So I always like to start off with the question, how did you start in this industry of ours? How did I start? I mean, it's, it's a kind of a long answer. Uh, <laughs> I guess... What was your first job? That always helps people. Well, my first paid job came quite later, but I guess my first unpaid job, which I yeah. do kind of think of as my first job, would be this uh, development internship I did at Sony, um, Sony Pictures, while I was at USC uh, studying film. I, so, I, you know, in a way, you could also say that my career started before that because I was going to film school in order to start the career. But yeah, the first job, it was Avi Arad Productions. His, he's associated with the Marvel movies that are not the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies that you know of, probably. Like I mean, he made like, uh, Ghost Rider and like The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, so like some, actually, I think he did Spider-Verse, the new one, which is really yeah. great. Yeah, it's yeah. great. So, you know, it's like the, the other Marvel movies, but basically just reading scripts and giving coverage or reading other kinds of material, stuff like that. And, and I did a second internship as well uh, at Sony at Mike DeLuca Productions, which is, they, they, do, they did a lot of other different kinds of stuff. I think they were shooting Captain Phillips while I was there. It's yeah. a big deal. Yeah, I mean, both companies were really cool. I, it was probably rare, a rare opportunity to get to see like actual big business Hollywood, like while I was still in film school. Like, this is how so it wasn't through USC that you got the, or was it like a friend there or? So it was a student. Um, yeah, it wasn't like through any kind of class or school program or anything like that. It was the year before I started at USC. After I'd gotten in, I went to visit and I knew one person who was already at USC he introduced me to a few of his friends and one of those guys ended up giving me that internship or like recommending me. Yeah. um, Did you feel like USC was very supportive of getting, you know, networking and getting you jobs and stuff? uh, I mean, I wish they were better with it, to be honest. I think, I think the main of going to USC is, is the network that you develop yourself while you're there, friends and uh, professors and whatever else. I feel like having a USC degree is helpful, but you get a film school degree, you're still going to start like at the bottom afterwards anyway. So, (laughs) so I don't know if there's like that much they can do, to be honest. Yeah. And so for the two internships, you have Michael DeLuca and um, Avi Arad. Avi Arad, right. So anything particular from those things that you took away that you were like, that was super important or super memorable? Totally. I mean, I think really it was about my career decisions at that point were heavily informed by those two internships because you know, I went to USC knowing that I wanted to do something in film, but not knowing what specifically. And, and the film production program is good for that because you learn about everything, you know, writing, directing, producing, editing, sound design, cinematography. But it was only while I was at this internship that I was reading like scripts that came onto these people's desks that were coming from working writers through their agents or whatever. And so I was really getting a glimpse of Sausage was actually being made, I guess. And, and the big thing was, you know, reading these scripts that came onto these people's desks. I was like, these scripts are not that good. I mean, most of them are like not good, I thought. And, and that was like, oh, okay, so then maybe I could do this. I mean, if, if it takes only this amount of skill or whatever. Granted, now there's a lot of other factors. You know, I'm not disparaging just like the average script. But I think that at least gave me the inkling that like, oh, I could do this. And you know what, actually writing is the part of filmmaking that I like the most. And maybe it is worth pursuing. Not to mention that like, I didn't love the like office environment of like a development and production company. And I was like, Oh, I guess this also means I'm not that interested in an office job. Right. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Or like, you know, working my way up in that, you know, fairly traditional way of starting as an assistant. I think a typical path I could have taken would, would have been to because I had those internships, I could try to 
say, maybe I can be an assistant at one of these places after I graduate and then, you know, work my way up to executive. And, you know, I know people who have tried to do that. I think the paths there are harder now than maybe they were before. So that was part of it. But also just because of the kind of vibe of it, I was like, I don't think this is for me. I think I'm going to try to make it in a different way. Yeah. So at USC, I was able to see a couple of your short films. Oh, which- cool. Highly recommend. If anyone goes oh. to LinkedIn, you can see some of the short films, which are really cool. Can oh, you tell you. me a little bit about those projects? So yeah, so uh, first semester at USC, I made two short films, one called Occupied, one called Pork Fried Rice. Occupied <laughs> is basically a five-minute film of a kid, of a guy trapped in a bathroom at a club. You know, it's goofy fun, but it's actually like one of the things I've made that got the most views on YouTube, I think. It has really? Like a hundred and something thousand views, which is... You know, for like a USC short film, I feel like it's decent. Yeah, big deal. Uh, yeah, I saw then, I saw Jonas and the Machine. Oh, cool. Yeah. So Jonas and the Machine is one of my yeah. favorites. Um, Me too. I thought that was fantastic. I liked, there was like a heart to it, even though, you know, there wasn't as much dialogue, obviously. So I would be happy to talk about that one for forever. You might have to cut me off. Really? Because there's just so many stories about that one. Because, well, first of all, shout out to Dave Dorsey, who directed it, and Robert Funky, who wrote it. Robert is now running the show on Becoming a God in Central Florida on Showtime. So, and it all started back at Jonas and the Machine. So, so that film, I think they still for a while, maybe even now, use as an example for like the short film, you know, model for uh, future students and stuff. And they like that year they screened it as part of like the Dean Luncheon or whatever. So it was a pretty, pretty big deal especially because the production of it was insane. Like, <laughs> but the, the, I guess the bigger story or the, the summary is it's a short with a, main, with a little kid as the main character. Right. And one of the things they, they highly discouraged us from making films with kids or animals because those things just become too difficult. And we're in our first year of film school. Like, and not to mention that we had major budgetary restrictions. We had that, that short's budget is a thousand dollars. So like, I mean, the fact that we made it look that good, I'm just so proud of. It looked really good. I mean, just like the animation, like the cinematography of it, the box itself. It's an odd film, but it was really cool. And, and even just, I think you, didn't you edit it? Like that was part yeah. of your job. So, so I, I thought the editing was very like sharp. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. Editing ended up being like main thing I concentrated on while I was at USC. After that first year, then you do like an advanced production. People like compete to direct those. After the first year, the advanced production class people take, it's basically, it's a competition to determine who's going to direct them, who's going to write them. But after those get selected, all the other students can crew on them in various capacities. I ended up editing the one that I did. And then going from there, I just kept on doing kind of editing work. And that became my main sort of source of income after I graduated was freelance editing gigs. There you go. So that's super helpful. Right after USC, what happened? Yeah. So as I finished USC, basically I decided that I've now, you know, experienced all these different aspects of filmmaking. The thing that I'm most interested in is writing, making a thesis film, you know, directing or producing. Although I did produce a couple of thesis films, but instead of directing or editing or anything like that, a thesis film, I decided to what they call write your way out. So I wrote a feature script and that kind of functioned as my thesis. And so I came out of school saying, okay, I'm going to try to pursue this career of a screenwriter, which of course means that you're not going to make any money for a long time. So, So the first order of business really was to find a way to pay the bills, but to find a way to pay the bills that also gave me time to write, right. which is which is the other thing that I discovered in terms of the alternative career path, let's say, of you know, rising through the ranks from like the mailroom or an assistant job or whatever. Like the people that I know who want to be writers who have those kinds of jobs, 
I think they're good for networking and meeting people and stuff, but they, I so often heard them say like, I don't have time to write. It's like taking up all my energy. Like I come home and then I don't feel like writing. So I was very conscious of trying to secure work that would give me like time. And so I figured a freelance editing could do that because, you know, in between gigs, uh, I could, you know, dedicate time to writing. That said, like free, the freelance lifestyle gets kind of exhausting after a while because, you know, you're constantly hustling for the next job or whatever. I mean, once in a while, I would get something that was semi-long-term that was, again, at an ad agency or something. But the thing that really allowed me to stop editing was the job I got at Disney. But that was a couple of years after coming out of USC. And actually, even before like, I got enough steady editing gigs, I was doing a bunch of random stuff. I was background acting and shows. I, I did this thing called... Uh, there are companies that quality control DVDs. Like... I think back in the day, before DVDs are, were completely gone like they are now, I think that was a pretty common job for people who maybe wanted to get into post-production but still wanted to work in the entertainment industry. And it was like, you know, you could just watch a DVD, like watch movies kind of for a living and you quality control them so to make sure the DVDs are working and stuff like that. So it was kind of boring, but it was a money supplement kind of job. And funny enough, like I would say the job I ended up doing at Disney is kind of the more modern version of that in a way. It's like, because basically since I started that job, I have been kind of watching movies and TV shows for a living, which is yeah. pretty cool. So. so you did two years of like, you know, obviously odd, like more odd jobs and then mm-hmm. f- and freelance gigs. And then at some point you got Disney. How'd you do that? So that all came thanks to my friend Avi, different Avi, not Avi Arad. Oh, um, come on. That'd be so yeah. clutch. No, yeah, great, imagine. great. That is another Avi. Yeah. Yeah. And another Brandeis alum who I think the last time we were speaking, I think I mentioned him a couple of times because he and I kind of ran the TV station at Brandeis together, BTV. BTV. Yeah. Shout out to BTV. Shout out. Uh, So I created this show, Slice and Dice, which is like a campus sitcom for BTV. And that was kind of my first real filmmaking experience. I mean, I, I did it just because, you know, I thought it'd be fun, basically. And then I start, kind of fell in love with it. But Avi moved to LA before I did. So right after Brandeis, he actually went to the Stark program at USC, which is like the producing program. I think Stan Brooks maybe did that. I feel like one of your previous guests did. And he, well, Stan Brooks went to AFI. Oh, no, not him then. But what was the program called again? It's called the Peter Stark Producing Program. It was probably Michael Pitt. Oh, maybe. I think it was Maybe. Michael Pitt. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, uh, yeah I, li- I listened to the first few episodes. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> oh, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you know? it. So Avi and I were kind of like the film pioneers in a way at Brandeis. And yeah. that we were two of the three first film majors at Brandeis, in fact. See, that um, was a big deal because I, I mean, so for everyone listening, you know, we went to Brandeis at the same time, but I think we only overlapped maybe a year or two. We graduated 2010, I graduated uh, 2011, so a year, or no, three years. And so, but we didn't know each other, which is kind right. of odd. I didn't really start doing student films until my last year. So I didn't really, mm. I wasn't really involved with BTV as much, but what was the point of this whole thing? But I knew of things, like I knew, like I, I heard of stuff that you had worked on. I I just okay. didn't know, you know yeah. what I mean? It wasn't like in the forefront of my mind, but they all were familiar. And when I revisited them, it was like a nice blast of the past. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I do feel like that tends to happen where I mentioned that I did something at BTV or made Slice and Dice and people, oh, I have heard of that. You know, it's like, yeah. I do think it kind of got around, the, the word got around. I don't know how many people actually watched Yeah. It, and so. it was a big deal because like you said, we really, I mean, I think you were one of the first few film majors. When I was there, you could only be a film major. There wasn't a film minor. I would have done a film minor had there been one at the time. But I think, I think there was one created after me or like maybe my senior year of film minor was created. But I remember thinking like, 
I, I would, I would have done it had I had more time to like position yeah. myself or situate, but it was a new program. Yeah. And, and that's, it's funny because like the exact reasons you're describing are the kind of why I ended up getting the film major because like I, I, so I double majored in film and economics, but I was really just planning on doing the economics major, but I was taking film classes for fun. The handful that were available, most of which were English classes or things like that. Yeah. But as I got towards the end of my time at Brandeis and they were, or I guess it was sometimes my junior year, probably there was talk of this film major that was going to be like a new thing. And it was partly because I'd already kind of finished all my economics classes. I was like, well, I, it shouldn't be too hard for me to just get this film major. And I almost feel like because it was a new thing, I, I probably got away with something, you know, like maybe not taking as many classes as people take now to get a film major. I don't know. So Avi went to USC the year after we graduated. Meanwhile, I started a job at PepsiCo in sales. It's completely different. The way, we, the way it works though, you know, you just kind of have yeah. to try a couple of things until you get to the thing that works. Exactly. You might and, not uh, have realized how much you wanted to do the other stuff had you not done PepsiCo. Exactly. Exactly. That, I mean, I, I think it was invaluable really because, you know, in a way it was like the cushiest job I could have gotten right out of school. It was like this, I had a company car. I could, I mean, it was like, uh, it was reasonably well paid, you know, what? I was like, this is not for me. And what, what, what is for me? I think it's the filmmaking stuff I was doing at Brandeis, the slice and dice stuff. That was fun. But yeah, so, so I basically followed Avi out here, except he did the producing program. I did the production program. And so when I said that uh, I knew somebody there who introduced me to someone to get me that Avi Arad internship, that was this Avi. That was this Avi. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Um, and Avi's helped me so many times. Avi Swerdlow, hit him up. He had a job at Disney. He was kind of attempting that route that I was describing of going from assistant to executive and so on. But he was starting to feel a little bit like maybe disillusioned with it or maybe seeing like it didn't feel like the right, there, there weren't enough advancement opportunities or something along those lines. And he ended up shifting and shifting to R&D at Disney, research and development. So a lot of the kind of early stage innovative work at a company will be in their R&D uh, department. And so at Disney at the time, one of their initiatives was to start tagging all their content. So in other words, basically like trying to describe the content as specifically as possible in the form of like metadata tags. So what are, uh, what are, what are tags again? So, so t tags can be anything that describes a piece of content. So basically like the genre, the running time, the year it came out, number of Oscars it got, like any piece of information about a piece of content you can think of as data. And wow. so like the initiatives at Disney at the time were, uh, they were trying all kinds of stuff like they like facial recognition. So like we would go through and watch a show and like tag every time a certain character showed up on screen. And then they would later use that information to help train machines to figure out they could uh, automatically detect those characters. Avi was one of the managers. He needed to hire contractors essentially because this is basically like grunt work, right? It's like you're watching a show or a movie and just like clicking a bunch of like times. Just like, finding like like different words that you can use associate. That's yeah. It seems like a very monotonous job or tedious it, job, really. Right. So like there are definitely aspects of it that are tedious. So he hired me as a contractor as well as a few others, and this is kind of a perfect like you know, side job, essentially. So it was like a fairly guaranteed source of income that I didn't have to put in 40 hours a week. But I could still, I supplemented a bit with editing jobs, but then I also had time to write, which is nice. But as I was doing the contractor job for a while, like, because all this stuff was new, and we're all kind of just figuring it out, I ended up having a lot of input in the way we were doing things. We started to develop a lot more, what I'll call like creative tagging. I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of stuff you can tag, right? So and a lot of it requires some knowledge of storytelling and film. So 
Like if you wanted to tag the type of storyline that was in this, you know, for example, how would you describe that? What is the taxonomy of storylines? And we come up with a full list of every possible storyline so that you can tag what storylines are in this show or in this movie. This is just an example. I'm not yeah. saying like any of these companies are necessarily even doing that. But that sort of thing was what we were thinking through at the time. And this is all kind of way in advance of Disney Plus, but a lot of this stuff would eventually help fuel Disney Plus. I'm sure. Um, and, and I think at the time, you know, Netflix is already doing this kind of stuff for Probably. their service. Yeah. And I'm guessing they were really the first. But nowadays, you know, every streaming company has some version of this because, you know, on the back end, you need different ways to categorize, analyze all of these shows and movies that they have on their service. But because I was kind of giving a lot of input and stuff at the time, I became part of this kind of brain trust, I guess we'll say, of people mostly who had started off as contractors, but then became employees. So I eventually became an employee at Disney, continued to be part of this like brain trust, developing the the workflows, the operations and stuff like that. And, you know, doing all that mostly meant watching movies and TV shows and thinking about them, which was a lot of fun, you know? Yeah. And uh, not to mention it's all Disney stuff. So it's like, you know, Pixar movies and Marvel. Right. So they're good. Yeah. And so how long were you there for? So I was there until last year. So that was 2015, I guess I got, or 2016 to 2019. Yeah. 2016 to 2019. So basically it was like a year and a half as a contractor and a year and a half as an employee. And then at that point I had, I think, gotten enough experience that I think I suddenly became like, kind of unique in that like this is a relatively new field so like not that many people actually have experience doing this sort of thing interesting then a friend of mine my friend steph who i went to usc with she just saw this job posting on linkedin for this netflix job that she said like sounded kind of similar to what i told her that i was doing at disney but it was like a bigger deal like full-time grown-up let's say job (laughs) where i would have to probably cut back a bit on the writing and stuff like that but you know i started to see it as you know what maybe this is the an opportunity to push this side of my career forward you know like I'm still doing the writing stuff. And by the way, all, all along through all of this, like I was making shorts and uh, web series. And we're, and and we're going to talk about that stuff because it's sure. not only should we talk about that stuff, but it's also like really good. So we'll go oh, into that you. for sure. But okay, so so now you're at Netflix. But before, mm-hmm. was there anything else, any other job along the way that... Let me think. Well, there were a bunch of little ones in yeah. editing that, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's... It's, it doesn't it's have to be. I was just curious, yeah. you know, if there was any... So there's just other editing jobs that you were doing sort of like freelance stuff or yeah like for some for these nonprofit kind of corporations that are doing nonprofits or corporations that have their kind of internal videos or like companies that want to do branded content for example for a while i was editing videos for sephora makeup tutorial videos that's pretty cool i feel a lot more informed now i feel like i understand what it takes to you probably uh, have seen so many just like this is a mascara this is how we put it on (laughs) yeah it was a bit of that but it it was cool it was only a few years ago that i think makeup tutorials got so big like all of a sudden people were, you know, that's how yeah. they were learning new things was just tutorials online. Yeah. I mean, there's so much opportunity now in ter- for like editors of like short form branded online content. The money is a lot lower, I think, than it used to be. But but there's definitely a lot of jobs for, for that kind of stuff. Now, yeah. Cool. So now you're at Netflix, but can sure. you give me an idea of what you do there? Yeah, sure. So I was describing like what tagging is. And so basically at Netflix, they have a few teams of people who are tagging their content in similar ways to what we were doing at Disney. And you can kind of think of it as like they're the content curators in a way, or like they're helping to curate. So we're classifying these shows and movies in various different ways. And that helps inform how they show up on the Netflix service for people to see them. The easy analogy, I think, is in the old days at a video store, you'd have the video store clerk 
who you would ask him like questions. What do you recommend or, if I like this and that? Exactly. You're and that so, person for me. Exactly. And we, we kind of think of ourselves as like the human touch behind the algorithm. So I want to, you know, emphasize there are people back there where like all, it's all human, human based. But so there are teams of people doing that. I'm part of that sort of umbrella organization, but I'm part of a separate team that is the metadata research and development team. Similar to what I was doing at Disney, we are kind of coming up with the new interesting ways of tagging, testing them out, seeing if they're useful or helpful, whether we can develop workflows for them, stuff like that. Which is cool because you really started off sort of at the basis of that for Disney as to like how the, you know, like you creatively developed this a little yeah. bit. And then now you're doing that even more in, in finding like innovative ways to help sell, I guess, that. I, I don't know. I thought that was interesting to think about. Yeah. And, and it also like informs the writing that I do too, in some ways, because it's like I'm analyzing stories. That's ultimately what this job is, is like we're, you know, trying to describe stories in new ways. Yeah. Um, and so the more you kind of, you know, break down movies and shows, the more you think about how you could do it yourself. At least I, yeah. that's how I think. I like it. So that all being said, so all this going on, so you're doing all this stuff and all of this is in service to your writing. So tell me a little bit about all that stuff. So on the side of everything, you've also, you know, you're going home, you're creating content, you're trying to figure out short films to put together. Tell me about that. Sure. Yeah. I I guess I'll start by saying somebody told me this early on. It was probably after I graduated USC, but it's something that I really took to heart, which is if you want to do what you love as your job, like prepare to work twice as hard as somebody who doesn't love their job. Because that's just the way it works. Like the thing you love isn't necessarily going to pay you enough. Again, I mean, a lot of this depends on, you know, if you're independently wealthy or have a trust fund or whatever, like then this doesn't apply to you. But I think for the average person who's trying to make it in Hollywood or whatever, I don't think it was instilled enough how hard you have to work, how much you have to do. Because like you have to just be constantly doing stuff. While I was at USC, I, as I mentioned, I wrote a feature for my writing my way out. And then I also, right after I graduated, I wrote this half-hour pilot, which was kind of about my childhood. It's uh, called The Adventures of Ash and Owen. I submitted it to a bunch of like screenwriting competitions and film festivals and stuff. And it ended up doing pretty well. Like it like won a couple and placed in a few places. And, and it so happened that in my final semester while I was at USC, a class called The Pitch Class, well, we, we called it the pitch class. I think it had a more official Probably name. Probably had a more like, yeah, official yeah. name. Yeah, yeah. The pitch um, class, that's great. Yeah, it, it helps you learn how to pitch. Yeah, which, which like ways, they should really teach more of. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I Stan Brooks, I remember when he, when I reached out to him at like uh, 2012, so like a year after I graduated, he was like an adjunct professor at Brandeis for like mm. a semester. And I was like, I wish I was there for that. I yeah. went for one class. Like I went back, my sister was there and I visited her and oh, I cool. just watched his class and that was a pitch class. And I was Got like, it. How come we didn't? I mean, come on. Yeah. This is so good. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, because you can learn filmmaking and writing and acting all you want, but like you don't get to do that stuff until you pitch yourself and they accept you. And so, like, the pitching part honestly should be coming first in a lot of this learning, I think. Um, I agree. I agree. But so, I fortunately took this class, and it so happened, it was similar to what you described with Stan Brooks, I guess. I had this kind of one-off a couple of professors, a typical professor who was there. She was off that semester, so we had these two others, one of whom is named Libby Beers. He uh, happened to also be an executive executive at a company called Pixel, 
while she was teaching this class. So it so happened that while I was in that class, I pitched The Adventures of Ash and Owen, which is the half-hour pilot I ended up writing after I graduated. About your childhood. About my childhood, which like I don't, I've been planning to write it basically while I was at school. But because I pitched it in that class and actually, and the, and the pitch was well received, like Libby uh, seemed to really like it. I thought, okay, I've written a script now and I've gotten some awards or whatever, enough to say that like, I'm not some nobody writer compared, like I at least have some proof that it's not terrible, right? So I decided to send it to Libby and see what she thought. And she liked it and she brought me in for general meeting to Pixel. And that led to my first writing job and my agent. Um, wow. So, so basically, yeah, so Libby sent the script to guy Joel Milner, who is an agent at a large amount literary agency. He's got bunch of cool clients like Peter Gould, who co-created Better Call Saul. Do they mostly do like television writers or do they do all kinds of writers? I think TV and film, but... Uh, not like know. books or novels or any of that. Not I just that was I curious if that's like a separate division or separate company and altogether, like if agencies are like, no, we're going to be really specific. I think it depends on the agency. So Larchmont is a, it's called Larchmont Literary Agency, but really Joel, my agent's job, it's like kind of his boutique agency. So, cool. you know, he can choose what things he wants to concentrate on. Whereas maybe if you're at a big agency, like, you know, CAA or whatever, maybe they do have all kinds of writers working for the same. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure. But, you know, he seemed like a good fit. I mean, it was literally the first agent I'd ever met. Like hmm. I heard a phrase about, you know, new writers trying to get agents that I felt like I couldn't pass this up because like a lot of people, you know, speaking of agencies like CAA and such, they're so big that they just, they're not going to care about like a young writer. Whereas like a, a boutique place, like they might not to mention all the stuff, you know, recently with the layoffs and, and then the writer's guild too. Yeah. Yeah. And not all the layoffs too, because they have, they have so many other responsibilities if you're an agent at, at like a giant agency beyond your clients. And right. which is like, you know, kind of frustrating, I'm sure, for a lot of the clients. Yeah. So, you know, Joel's been great. So yeah, I started working with him, which meant that basically he started sending my material out to his connections so that I could have go on general meetings and things like that. The relationship hasn't yet resulted in any like big paid jobs or anything, but doors are slowly opening and I keep writing stuff, he's cutting stuff out and that's kind of the way. So that's been the writing thing. And in the meantime, though, like, because I did have that first writing job with Pixel, that movie got made. It came out in 2018. It's called Time Capsule. It has Reginald L. Johnson in it. I think yes. he, he's, uh, Carl Winslow. He's a uh, uh, yeah. family yeah. matters fan. Yeah. Yep. Huge family matters fan. Yeah. And, and Die Hard, of course. Of course. Um, yeah. Uh, so that was pretty cool. I mean, I, you know, it's a TV movie. So Pixel, it's like the Hallmark Channel, except it's a little more catered to, I want to say, like family friendly, jaded let's say, like, like general audiences. Yeah. Um, like uh, the, I think Hallmark is already kind of like that, but if you can say even more extreme version of Hallmark or a slightly more narrow version of Hallmark, let's say. Got it. Yeah. So, and I, and I, I think like a lot of people that I'd heard about breaking into the industry and stuff, like often said they started in TV movies. I mean, I've seen that a lot, actually, for a lot of the executive producers specifically, but also like even just the mentors I've been talking to, they've all started that way. Yeah, so it was it was like, oh, cool! I'm actually maybe gonna follow the same path that like people used to follow. EV movies aren't as much of a thing these days, and the thing got made, which is also like seems so Huge. rare. For, That's a big deal. It's true. Yeah, that kind of set me off on a path to at least feel like I can call myself a writer and say, even if I'm like, didn't, even though I haven't sold anything since, but I I have had a yeah yeah I have had things optioned and things like that, and you know things that could theoretically turn into sales but but yeah uh so but it, but it gave me enough confidence basically to, to keep at it while pursuing all those other work things on the side so okay yeah so i've talked about the writing but there's also like the filmmaking so i, I was sure that i wanted to be a screenwriter 
But in order to get myself out there, I felt like I needed a strong like presence online of some kind. And because like when you're writing, you you know, you write a script and then it might never get made. No one ever sees it. Like people don't know that you're working. People don't know that you're busy writing, that you're like developing this you know, portfolio. So you kind of have to self-promote, right? I mean, and that's what everyone in this has to do. And so I decided that like the best way that I could think of to do that was just make some short video content that I could use to demonstrate my writing ability in a sort of easily digestible form, let's say, um, because I think it is easier to get somebody to do a minute video than to read a hundred page script. I thought, and not to mention that I went to USC for a production. So like I have the you know production experience as well, so I could pull it off. I started making a web series called Arun Considers. And which that like, kind of, is, is strong content. Like I've seen, and it's especially because you're in it. So right. there's this element of like, I mean, maybe I'll, I should let you finish before I talk all about no, no, thoughts I'm on it. But no, I, I think first of all, the writing's super strong. So it makes oh, sense you. that, you know, you're a writer first and foremost in a way, but also the filmmaking is really strong. And then your acting is, is on, you know, like as an actor, oh, I can thanks. say that with confidence. I feel, you know, like you're funny. The comedic timing is great. I mean, a lot of that comes from the editing too. So not just sure. the acting, but the combination of both those skills. And I wasn't expecting that because, you know, I remember going through all this stuff and, and looking at, you know, and researching and being like, oh, this. And then I saw that at the end because that's more towards right. like the later, you know, part of your career. And, uh, and I was surprised. I was like, oh, this guy can act too. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I mean, I, I, I don't see myself as like a good actor, but hearing it from actors makes it very, that's very validating. So no, and it's true. And it's nice because the actual content itself, I think is important. You know, when, you know, you, you talk, there was one episode about your name what is it? It's like a room considers your name or how it uh, is. Yeah. Arun considers his name. His yeah. name. And it just, it's all about your name and, and the pronunciation of your name. And yeah. it's, it's funny, it's witty, but it's also like, I think important to talk about, you know what I mean? Sure. And it's something that you, I feel like have probably dealt with. To, I don't know what degree, like, I don't know how, I mean, I'm sure a little bit was exaggerated, but I'm sure a lot of it was based on this like truth. So yeah. I just feel like, yeah, you know, this, this is the type of content that should be made, that there should be put out there. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. So we made 12 episodes. Yeah. I say we, so like, yeah, I wrote, starred, often edited and produced, but I very rarely directed. My friend- Which is uh, smart, by the way. Oh, I thought so too. It so is. thank you. No, it is because it, it, A, first of all, you have a lot of tags on that. Like you have a lot of like roles in, in that, but also yeah. it's, it's important, I think, to have someone else create, you know, put the vision together. It, yeah, like yeah. from what I've heard, it's just, it's not advisable even, you know what, even Stan Brooks said, it. I don't know if you listened to the whole episode, but Stan said, you know, it's not something he recommends to That's do right. and direct his own That's stuff. Right. It's very hard. He still does it, he says, but like, he, yeah. he feels like, he, I remember one line he said, like, I should have learned. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I look at someone like Tyler Perry or something, who's like, not only writing and directing, he's like acting in multiple roles. I'm like, how does someone do that? Eddie Murphy too. You're just like yeah. the amount of roles you have to do. And he was such, he was an executive producer. So, you know, he's watching everything afterwards, but like, same with you, like uh, to act and direct is just right. exhausting. Cause you'd have to literally just watch it back every time as opposed to just asking someone else, was that good? <laughs> like, exactly. Do that again. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. So like, I did not trust my acting enough to also direct my acting, you know? So like I needed somebody to, uh, help me with that. And funny enough. So Dave Dorsey, who I gave a shout out earlier because he directed yes. Jonas and the machine, yes. uh, direct, he directed the first three episodes of Arun Considers. Oh. Um, he's great. He has been, he probably really set the tone for the whole thing. 
Exactly, exactly. Just like with a regular TV show, I think that first episode really helps to set the model for what comes after. And he, I think, like gave me some of the best acting advice that I got, which is, was you know, I, but he said, like, he just kept saying, like, do less, do nothing. And I just always have that running through my head, like, do less. Cause, like, so it, smart. It's like, I think people, and you probably can speak to this more than I can, if you've done like theater and as well as like camera acting, like obviously you have to be bigger on on stage so that people can. Yeah. So I just learned to kind of trust that like without quote unquote doing anything, I was getting stuff across. People tend to, especially actors, like tend to make everything really precious. Right. They'll be like, this line's important. I'm going to say it like this. And you're just yes. Say it like a normal person. <laughs> right. And, and on the note of things being too precious, like that was another thing that I, I think as an editor, I think that really served me well. I mean, the first nine episodes are each under two minutes long. There's only the most recent three that I decided to make a little bit longer, really just because I thought it'd be worth, you know, trying something a little more ambitious if I yeah. wanted to potentially adapt the web series into something longer, for example. That kind of set the template for the rest of the episodes, which is essentially like I would write a monologue and then I would work with a director to figure out what it was going to look like. The three episodes released last year were Arun Considers His Name, Arun Considers Diversity, and Arun Considers Nothing. And those three kind of changed the format a bit. They're really good. I highly recommend. How, where can people find this? ArunConsiders.com, right? Yeah, that's the easiest way to find yeah. it. So there's 12 episodes up there. And I mean, they're also on Instagram, uh, at ArunConsiders, Facebook.com slash ArunConsiders. But I think ArunConsiders.com is the best place to watch them. Dave directed the first three, which first were... Three. Arun, the, the first three were Arun Considers Heroin, Arun considers VR porn and Arun considers shaving. <laughs> I'm excited to see it. And it's only two um, minutes. It's easy content. To, so like, short. Yeah. yeah. But even though David done such a good job, I didn't feel like it made sense to have him keep directing because one of the nice things about this setup of me writing and having someone else direct is like I could play with different visual styles. Like if I had a different director every time. So I thought, okay, let me get a different director for every episode from now on. And so in volume two. Which is like TV. Right. Exactly. Also to kind of model myself on television. And we had different directors for the second set of three. And then one of the people I started working with in that second volume was this guy, Jordan Letty, who also went to USC. And yeah, in fact, he actually worked with Dave Dorsey on some stuff too. I enjoyed working with Jordan so much that we started to work together on some additional projects, including trying to write a half hour version of Arun Considers, like a TV pilot. Smart. Um, and so in service of that, actually, we decided to make a longer version of Arun Considers, like a, like the, a webisode that kind of could demonstrate what the larger show could look like. Mm. And so then I strayed away from the monologue format. And then I was like, okay, let me put in some actual like uh, conversations and scenes and, you know, things that demonstrate that I can actually tell stories as opposed to just telling a, a monologue. long monologue voiceover. So any sort of idea of what you would ideally want, you know, to happen with them? Like what would be like the dream scenario? So now I would say the ideal scenario is that Arun Considers exists as a calling card for my voice as a writer and filmmaker, and ideally it would help me get a legitimate screenwriting job or a staff writing job on a TV show or something like that. Cool. Or you know, an adaptation of Arun Considers into a TV show, which that would be amazing. Which would be amazing, but if, you know, it's a huge long shot. I mean, we have had it, we did have like a couple of meetings. I'm not producers, surprised. But. I would see, I could see that content, you know, turning into something more long form or bigger. Have you, have you reached out to any like Brandeis alum or USC alum or people in the business that you could like just send them a couple links and be like, this is what I'm working on? It's, it's a good idea. And I got to say, like, I have not been very good at 
capitalizing on my alumni networks. Yeah, no, this is, I mean, you're inspiring me, in fact. Oh, and like, I, especially like the more you do this podcast, the more I'm going to feel like, oh, look at all these Brandeis people that I need to talk to. I Listen, I have a couple of executive producers coming up soon too. So oh, great. as soon as those come out, I'll let you know. I'm like, oh, perfect. they're good people to, to say, and they're all Brandeis. I, I didn't intend for this to be like very predominantly Brandeis, sure. but hey. There's it's a good place to start. People that went to Brandeis. Yeah. That, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Marta Kaufman, David Crane. I mean, they created friends. I mean, come on, you know? I mean, yeah. yeah. Did you listen cool. to the end of uh, the Stan Brooks episode where he talks about like being friends with Marta Kaufman and David Crane and like, having, yeah. I'm like, that's, I mean, cause we know, like we've heard stories about them right. going to Brand. We know, but like just for him to talk about, like it happened to be their same year. All right. Is there anything else that like, you know, specifically you want to add on about the work you've done? I guess the only other thing I'd say is, I think my entire sort of career trajectory so far has been about trying to find this balance between my creative interests and like my practical personality. And, and I think they're constantly at odds because the, the entertainment industry is not practical. Honestly, maybe this is like me having immigrant parents from India or whatever. And like, you know, the kind of mentality that I think a lot of people in my family and stuff have, which is what's number one is making sure that you can like support yourself and like have, you know, so the starving artist thing is not that big in the Asian American community, I'd say. So that was probably part of it. But I feel like proud that I've managed to kind of combine my creative interests and that practical career for now, you know, let's see, let's see where it goes. But I do think the, I'm kind of defying the typical suggestion, which is, I usually heard the advice, pick one thing and stick with it. Like, right. because people want to be able to know who you are, what you are. And I think that's sort of true. Like, I, I, I agree There's with that. There's a truth to it. There is a truth to it. But I don't think you should take it so far that if you put all your eggs in one basket, then like, you know, I guess that's just the end of that phrase, but you know. No, I, no, I honestly, I totally agree with you. And that's something that is someone on another part of the entertainment industry, the acting part, like I feel the same way where it's like, mm -hmm. I think for so long, I felt kind of like I needed to put all my eggs in one basket. And the problem or many problems with that, but one of the problems with that is a, it puts too much pressure on you actually doing what yeah. you do. So like I'd get an audition, I'd get like a opportunity and I would have to like figure out ways to calm myself because I was like, yeah. I put so much into this. If I get the series regular audition, like if I book this, it's like a, you know, different stratosphere of my career and yeah. you can't go into opportunities like that because right. it just holds, it makes it too precious. Kind of like what we were saying before. I feel like I'm sensing this interesting pattern with like a few people I've, I've spoken to in this podcast where people will say, just don't only feel compelled to do one thing or one right. track. And you really have balanced, I feel like, this practical lane of like making money, but staying in the industry, doing, you know, utilizing skills that you're good at, that you also like, but also being able to stay creative and stay fluid and create content when, you know, a lot of people would stop and a lot of people would feel like they can only do it if, and you're right, it's almost like having two full-time jobs, yep. right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it kind of goes back to what I said before about if you want to love your job, you're going to be working twice as hard. And that's partly, yeah, because you might have to have two entire careers. And that's kind of the way I've been seeing it. I mean, initially, I thought maybe that second career would be editing. I quickly decided that the metadata stuff kind of was a whole world that was more interesting to me. For all we know, once, you know, like I could talk to you in five years and you're this, you know, writer and you're, you're writing all this stuff and all that, in, all that like experience that you had at Disney and now Netflix 
for all we know, is going to create a whole different version of your work that you have because you have that experience under your belt. Absolutely. I mean, I'm about to start writing a new feature and like, I already feel like I am going to be coming at it from an entirely new perspective compared to the last one I wrote because of everything I've been doing on Netflix for the past year. So, yeah. Which is amazing, right? Think about that. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This is so interesting. Pleasure. And we'll touch base soon. And thanks a lot. Oh, thank you. This is great. Hi, I'm Gia. And I'm Layla. And we're the hosts of the podcast, She Effing Did That. And you're listening to Mentors on the Mic. All right, guys, the review this week that I'm featuring is from Odd Jobs, the podcast, which I was really lucky and fortunate to be a guest on. The title is Can't Believe Something So Valuable is Free. I just saw this right now, so this was really lovely. If you want to advance in your career, especially a career in entertainment or another creative outlet, this podcast is invaluable. These mentors have incredible recommendations and life experiences that otherwise may not be available for everyone to hear and benefit from. Michelle's really created something special and her stellar interviewing skills and warm personality only enhance the listening experience. Five stars. Highly recommend. Thank you guys so much. That was so nice. And I'm really enjoying listening, uh, listening, reading all of these wonderful reviews. If you have liked something, an episode or the podcast in general, please review on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a huge difference, not just for me, not just how much I love to see them, but also for the algorithm as a whole. It helps Apple Podcasts then market my podcast to the right people. I also wanted to add that uh, I've started to ask people their recommendations on questions to ask my guests. So for example, I have a television writer coming up and on social media, on Instagram, I asked what kind of questions would you ask a TV writer? And I got so many responses. So thank you so much. If you go ahead and follow me on at mentors on the mic on Instagram, as well as at Michelle Simone Miller, that's where I'm going to be asking these type of questions. So you can ask questions and I can refer to them in the actual interview. Thanks guys. Thank you so much for listening to mentors on the mic. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend you know would love it. Let me know what you learned or what stayed with you on our Instagram, at Mentors on the Mic. I will be sharing even more information about our mentors there. These are crazy times, and now more than ever, it's so important to connect. Talk to someone about what you learned today who would really appreciate it, and send them the episode. Also, if you love the show, please go ahead and leave us a rating on iTunes. Every week I'm choosing a review to read on an episode. It really makes a huge difference in growing this. Thanks.